You're listening to the Gateway Christian Church Beckley Campus Podcast. To find out more about the church, visit our website at gatewaychristianchurch.net. Let's get into this week's message. As, as our, our sermon planning team puts out ideas of where we think God is leading people, uh, I just see the poignancy of this sermon series, this next five weeks, uh, for such a time like this. And uh, I see by the number of faces that are here today, and that brings me a lot of joy because I do believe that we are in not only a crisis mode as a nation, but I believe that we're in a spiritual crisis mode as well. And that the change that we're all hoping to see that would take place in our culture, in our community, is not going to come from outside the church, it's going to come from inside the church. If we want to see God move and God change things, it's going to require all of us to come together. And, and I think that we're not only seeing this inside of our own campus, but in other campuses, but, you know, I was talking to Tanya uh, when I got back, and her family has been out in Indiana, out of church for quite some time with COVID, due to your grandma, she's 92, and, and uh, 90, oh, she's 97, that's right. She's 97, and then your dad's 80, isn't he? Uh, generate turn 80. And so they're they're older, and so they've kind of laid out. But you know where they're at this Sunday? They're in church. And I think what you're going to start seeing is times like this, people are going to be calling out and crying out for God. So I believe that we are in a series um, that is perfectly timed and ordained by God for us to spend some time together. And so the first part of our series is, what should we do? And when we see times like this, I want to encourage you to stop. You're like, what? Wait a second. I was coming here. I want some answers. I want, I want some motivation. But the word I want you to remember today is stop. You know, the video that, that Taylor was able to put together, that's Winston Churchill in the background. Do you realize um, that's who that was? I don't know if you Googled the words that, that were up there. But that's Winston Churchill in the time, uh, a great turmoil in crisis, reminding his people not to quit, not to give up. And so for the entirety of this series, we're going to be in one place in the Bible as our primary text. It's Psalm 73. And when we see Psalm 73, the writer of the psalm was about to throw in the tap. He was so discouraged and felt so defeated that he was ready to quit. Ready to walk out on his faith, ready to change what he'd been given his life for. But he made it through this dark time. And fortunately for us, the journey into and out of this deep, dark, discouraging time is recorded in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 has been described as the book of Job in a nutshell, <laughs> like a mini version of what took place in the book of Job in the Old Testament. So this, in our Bible reference over the next five Sundays, read through it this week. I encourage you, and you can read through it in multiple translations. I encourage you to keep putting this. It, it, it's not a real long song. It, it could be something that you put in your daily and really let God soak his word deeply into your soul. If you look at the heading of the psalm in your Bible, if you're on your phones or looking at your Bible app, you'll find the words, a song of Asaph. Who was this man? Asaph is going to become very familiar for us as we travel through the sermon series. Let me tell you, give you the background on Asaph. Asaph was the descendant of Gershon, who was the son of Levi. He is the author of 12 psalms in the Bible. 
Psalm 50, and then the Psalm 73 through 83. In fact, in 1 Chronicles 6, 31 through 39, we read that Asaph was one of the men that King David put in charge of the music of the house of the Lord when they brought the Ark of the Covenant there, before the temple was even built. This time period for Asaph's appointment was about 1000 B.C. And if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 15, 19, you will see that Asaph played, a, played the cymbals. And in chapter 16 and verse 5, we read that Asaph was the chief or leader of the praise team. He was the first one in skinny jeans back in the Bible. <laughs> All right? That's the kind of guy in skinny jeans and hair gel you know, these are just things, you know why I say those things? Because I can't do skinny jeans. You don't want me to. And hair gel, and hair gel's been out the door for a long, long time. It was funny. You know, Dave Stauffer and Dave Philbin and, and uh, 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 Sun is who I went with on this mission trip. And they all had a big laugh. Uh, the ones with hair and said, did you pack your shampoo? I just don't find that funny, all right? So you probably don't like skinny jean jokes either, but it's appropriate. But what was Asaph's chief uh, uh, job? He was to extol, thank, praise the Lord, the God of Israel in 16.4. And if you keep on reading, you will see that this he led his team of musicians every day to play according to each day's requirements, as we read in verse 37. Asaph was probably 20 or in his 20s when he was appointed to lead the praise team, and served in that position for 40-plus years. He most likely wrote the Psalms when he was an old man, serving at the end of Solomon's reign when the kingdom was being torn apart. And probably when we read in Psalm 73, that is his cry. It is deeply disturbing to him to see that instead of one nation of Israel, it's being divided and torn apart into the northern kingdom, and to the southern kingdom. And I guarantee you, that's right where we read the words out of Psalm 73. So we can see Asaph was a man who was very active in his faith, very active in service of the Lord for many, many years. And what we see in the Psalms is somewhat of the way that we are doing. And guess what? He was ready to throw in the towel. He almost gave up. I don't know about you, but this is kind of comforting me today. But Asaph and some of the greatest Christians throughout history have been discouraged, like sometimes I am today, but who have come through this stronger than before. You see, when it seems like everything has fallen apart in your life, God can use this very song to get you through it. And I hope that you will find not only comfort, but encouragement as we go through the psalm in this series. Let's look at the psalm. Let's look at verse 1. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So his very first statement in this psalm is that the phrase was kind of like a statement that Israelites would use when they came into the house of worship. It'd be like a Christian greeting. You know, for us, we might say like in the New Testament, Jesus is Lord. Or we would greet one another with a warm welcome. And what Asaph is doing here is setting the tone. He says, surely God is good to Israel, even in the midst of times where they're being torn apart. What he is saying here is something that we've always believed. He grew up believing it. He built his life on the fact that God is good. And this statement describes the feeling that God's people have. 
But if you look at verse 2, everything starts to shift. But he says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold. As if Asaph had, had been a Christian in these verses, who would sound Jesus is Lord, but to be honest, almost gave up believing. I'll tell you, having firm footing is a blessing. You know, it really is. I mean, I walked here today, got out of the car in firm footing. When we went to build the house in Haiti, we had to go straight up a mountain. And I mean, I was Billy Goat, all right? And I got up there, and I have you ever got up on a steep incline and then wondered, how am I getting down? Yeah. That very first day, I was like, like, come on, you can do it. They called me Hoss over there. I said my name is Russ. They did the R and H lost in translation someplace. And they would laugh when they would say, hey, Hoss. And I'd be like, hey, buddy, <laughs> pal. One, and I think they just had a group of them say, let's see him get up there. Better yet, let's see him get down. I mean, you, you're coming down and your feet are sliding. And I'm like, this is it. I'm going to roll down. I'm going to get pale with something. And I'm going to die in Haiti. But you know what? Firm footing is something I think our American culture needs right now. Because I believe people are just spinning out all over the place. I just wonder how many Christians are like this. I just wonder how many people are in the house of the Lord this morning that are watching on the line that are so discouraged and feel so defeated they're ready just to throw in the towel. You're struggling to sing praise this morning. They're struggling to pray. They're struggling to read the Bible, to serve and live out their faith because they're ready to give up fighting. Their faith is hanging on a thin thread which is about ready to break. And if we're going to go through the motions, in the back of their mind, there's this little voice saying, why bother? That's exactly where Asa is in this song. In the first half of the song, Asa tells us why he got to this point and where he almost slipped. And there's three parts, and here's the first one. Let's read it together. It's going to be on the screen. Follow along in your Bible. Let me read this for us. Verses 3 through 12, and it says, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves in violence. They cows hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, the people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. They always are carefree, and they go amongst amassing wealth. Now, this was written a thousand years before Christ. These words were written 3,000 years ago. And I believe they are as poignant today as they ever were when they were first in. We can understand this sentiment, right? Those who are trying to live what's right, who are trying to promote what's good and pure in the world, are just getting beat down on every turn. We're trying to live by God's plan and purpose. But we see an agenda of evil and darkness which seems to be thriving and moving forward in our land. They are being celebrated and we are getting marginalized and criticized. 
and criticized for every word that we ever say. And God forbid that we bring up a Bible verse because all we are considered is a person full of hate and a bigot and those who have lost touch with reality. How is this fair? How can God allow this kind of spiritual injustice? We've all been there. And you might be there right now. You can't make sense of what God is doing in our world. But it's much deeper than that phrase. He couldn't make sense of what God was doing in his own life. Look at verse 14. We'll go back to verse 13. He says, all day long I have been afflicted. Every morning brings new punishments. You see how personal this gets to him. It's not just the people are being punished. He looks at it personally and he says, I'm being punished. I'm being afflicted. Remember the psalm of a righteous man. Asaph is a spiritual leader. He's full-time service for the Lord. Others are looking to him for guidance and leadership. Others are looking to his Facebook account to see what he's going to say. And they're giving him the resource for righteousness, but it seems that his own frustration and discouragement. And this is something I want to say to the spiritual leaders that are working with the people who are so in our culture, in our, in our American culture right now, they are looking you to what you are saying. How you are responding. How you are loving. If you're going to go hide in a hole, your people will do the same. The people will not raise above its leadership. So they're looking to the spiritual leaders and what you're saying or what you're not saying. Sometimes our frustration, what's going on in the world, is really a cover for the frustration that's going on in our own lives. We ask, why do the wicked prosper? Well, when the real question is, why am I not prospering? We ask, and it sounds all Christ-like to say this, why do the righteous suffer when the real question is, why am I in pain in my life? We ask, is there really a God who's in charge of everything when the question is, why is my life falling apart? Asaph couldn't make sense of what God was doing and what in the world was going on. So he couldn't make sense of what God was doing in his own life. So this is what we see in verse 13. Surely in vain I have kept my pure heart and have washed my hands in innocence. Can you see how he got there? He's always believed that God was good to his people. And those who were trying to live a good godly life, what they saw in the world was evil, and evil seemed to be winning, and God seemed to be losing. But that just isn't the issue for Asus of the day. We have issues too, isn't it? Evil seems to be winning, while godly living seems to be losing. We see this in so many areas of our culture, in government, education, business, the entertainment industry, and many other places. And it's so discouraging. It makes us wonder if the church is really being affected. You know, today, in our culture, there is more than 1,500 churches in America that have attendance over 2,000 members. Never seen that in the history of the world, of megachurches. But in these megachurches that are in megacities, they're also located in cities where we see turmoil and chaos. And we ask ourselves this important question. Is what we're doing really worth it? Are we really accomplishing anything? Now, this is the kind of situation that could happen to a man like Asa. Don't you think it could happen to you and me? Absolutely. And I want to be honest with you for a moment. Since March 15th of 2020, 
I've been struggling. I don't have to lie to you, but it's been hard. You know, I've been catching myself sometimes in this phrase, well, it is what it is. You know what that is? <laughs> That's a phrase that says, I am so fed up and discouraged with anything, but there's nothing I can do about it. Myself, I found myself talking to people, looking, they're looking for me for guidance, a kind word, some, some sense of who is God and where is God through this. But you know what? I've had questions. Like, is the church going to survive in West Virginia? Can we make it through a pandemic? How healthy is the church when I look at the television and the news reports, when I see what's going on in the other cities in, the, in America, in the world? And then I ask myself, myself, is what I'm doing really worth it? Sometimes I feel like Asa. But he wanted, as we look at the scripture, Asa was ready to throw in the towel. You know what? And the devil wants me to throw in the towel too. He wants our leaders, our spiritual leaders, to throw in the towel. And you know what? If we're really being honest, he wants you to throw in the towel. We need to remember that there will be intense pressure and testing during our lives. This, as the Bible says, the day of evil, we'll read about in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. And the future of our faith and the legacy of our faith through our children depends on how we respond in times like these. Fortunately for us, Asaph came shining through this day of evil in his time. And so can we. Let me say that again. I know this beginning of the sermon, you're like, man, why did I come to church today? We can come through and shine for Jesus. His story is a model for us of how to respond when we find ourselves at a point that we feel like we're slipping away into the abyss of discouragement and defeat. The rest of the psalm tells us how he kept his faith in those dark times. And in the weeks that we will come through and look through the scripture, we're going to find out these ideas and how we can uh, battle this discouragement. But if this is how we are turning the towel, ready to throw it away, give up, here's your first step. Look at verse 15, if you will. And it says in the song, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So in these verses we've already covered, we see that Asa experienced a very strong language and thought about some of the things that he had done. And in this verse, notice what he says. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. You know what Asa is saying? I see all the evil going on in the world, and if I acted like the world, I would have betrayed your children, the spiritual children of Israel. And I think that's one of the first things that we need to learn. That is, if he went around promoting the extreme frustrations and not being able to make sense of things, then he would have betrayed the people of God. And if he would have followed the confusing thoughts of his mind downward to the inclinations of his heart, at that time he would betray the very God and the very people he was in charge of serving and leading them in worship. But he didn't do that. So what did he do instead? Have you ever been on a road that you start driving up the road and you're wondering if something happened and I had to turn around that I can't turn around this road. That's every road in hate. <laughs> I mean, it's absolutely every single road in hate. And we went up a road 
And, and uh, they, this past year, they were able to ship two vehicles over. One was a RAV4 for the passenger to get around, and the other was a Toyota Sienna minivan. Now, these things have had like 150,000 plus miles on them. They are perfect for Haiti, all right? I mean, if your car's not rattling or blinking or having a mirror fall off, you're not going to be the cool kid in Haiti when you're riding around in the streets, all right? So this minivan that we're in, the heat shield underneath the catalytic converter was rattling. I mean, and over every rock, it went, rrr, rrr, you know, and Dave kept saying, we need to get that fixed. And I said, why? Why? Look around. Why would you get this fixed? You know, we have a vehicle that goes. And so he said, let's test the limits of our vehicle. And I said, we should do this. And Dave said, yeah, I'm driving. So we went straight up a mountain. And when we're there, he looks and says, I don't think we're going to make it. I said, that's too late now. I said, give her some more gas. And luckily, we made it up to the top of the road and stuff like that. But then we were going by the church one night, and he had to turn around. And if you ever had to make a five-point turn, have you ever been on a road that is that narrow, that if you're going to turn around, you had to stop, turn left, back up a, a foot, go forward a foot, and then back up, and then come back the other way? We did a five-point turn in Haiti. And that's what we're going to look at in this scripture. Because we're going to have to do a five-point turn. There's five weeks in this series, and here's the first thing you got to do. If you're heading in the wrong direction, you know what you need to do? Stop. You just got to stop. And sometimes you may be able to swing life lazily around and go back in the other direction you need to go, but there's sometimes in your life that you cannot do that and you need to stop. And I believe this is one of those days. Asaph had to stop. It wasn't enough for him just to slow down or to do a uh, fast and furious Tokyo drift to go back. He had to stop what he was doing. And this is your first step in getting back to where God wants you to be. You first just have to stop. This is important because sometimes our turn back to where God wants us to be doesn't start with an answer, but rather with a decision. Let me say that again. Our turn back to where God wants us to be doesn't start with an answer, but it starts with a decision. And you and I first have to decide that we need to stop. Asaph couldn't make sense of what God was doing in the world. He couldn't make sense of what God was doing in his own life. So he couldn't see the point of continuing to pursue a godly life. His mind was driving him down the road of despair, telling him to throw in the towel. He wanted to answer, but he couldn't get what he got. So he made a decision, and his decision was to stop. Look in verse 13. I had to stop, or I would have put everyone at risk. I would have disgraced my God and betrayed my own people. Sometimes when we cry out God for an answer, he, from what he wants us to do, is first a, is a commitment. Sometimes we cry out to God for an answer, and what he wants from us is a commitment. And you know what that commitment is? Stop. Maybe this is where you're at right now. You're so confused about things in this world. Your mind is driving you down the road to give up. So I want to encourage you, don't give up. Don't drive off the edge. Make a decision to stop. Stop what? Stop feeding your mind with negativity around you. That's what you got to stop. That means 
stop watching negative news. That means stop spending so much time on your Facebook page that's going to lead you down a road to destruction. That means stop spending so much time looking at your Twitter feed. That means stop letting negative people speak life into you. You know what always is looking for a party? Pity. Pity is always looking for a party. And, and if you find yourself doing that, stop. You don't have to be around those folks. I got on the airplane in Atlanta, and, and the airplane was the craziest place to be. Everybody sitting there watching their phones, what was going on. You sit down, it's time to board. Why can't they just board us by row? If we're supposed to be six feet apart, but we get to be in this two for with 180 people, and we can't be six feet apart, why do we have to sit next to them for 30 minutes before the plane backs out? GW? <laughs> You're a TSA guy. Can you answer that question? All right. Because the people I was sitting around for, for 30 minutes were driving me up the wall. I was doing all I can. Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, I was doing all I can, everything I could that day, just to try to keep a positive attitude. I wanted to get home. And every person around me that I found was like, the sky is falling. I felt like when I was in Chicken Little the whole book the entire time. And they're on the airplane and they're like, we got to do this and we got to do that. I'm like, we need to get the airplane backed up and in the air so I can get home. That's what we need to do. I did finally just tell her, I just said, I can't. I said, she goes, what do you think about all this? I said, I want to get home. All right. I just want to get home. And, and I think sometimes you can't win an argument. Jesus didn't call us to win an argument. He called us to save the lost. So I think some of the things that we need to really focus in on is stop getting involved in the nonsense that's going to lead you in a place that you're not going to be happy and you're going to be saying things that you don't want to say. You know the thing that I know about myself? I'm a man that is trying my best to lean in on Jesus, try to be filled with full of the Spirit. And, and you know the, the fruit of the Spirit says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And you remember the last one? Self-control. And right now, we are living in a culture that seems like they don't have one bit of self-control. If it's a thought here, it's coming flying out their mouth. We need to stop. God is calling his people to stop. When you can't make sense of what's going on, God is not going to give you an answer. He's looking for a commitment. Stop. And stop thinking only about yourself. Guess what? We're all in this together. People are watching. We need to realize that our hope falls not into what is taking place in the popular, but our hope falls in the very idea that if we're not careful, we're going to fall down into discouragement, slip over the edge, and then an impact of what we do will, will affect other people. Listen, stop focusing only on your own pain. Stop thinking everything has to turn out the way you think it should turn out. Stop thinking, this is a tough one, that you're the only one that's right. Stop doubting, as the scripture says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Stop doubting that God is using your godly life to reap a harvest that will last for years. I'm talking to people who are ready to throw in the towel. I'm talking to you people 
who are so fed up with things that are not making sense in the world in your own life that you're thinking about your feet slipping away. And my message to you is, don't give up. You know, what if, how many of you all have World War II veterans in your family line? May not be directly. What if they quit? We'd be eating crap for lunch. I don't know about you all. It's good once or twice, but not every day. What if people said, you know, taxation without representation and British tea is pretty good every day? Crumpets are not nearly as good as a cheaper. Do you see what I'm saying? For such a time as this, I can't give you the reason why we're here. I can't tell you why Asaph was there. But I can tell you one thing. The God is calling on you and me and all of us to stop all this negative talk, all this negativity, and turn back to him. And it's not going to be an easy turn. Because once you start sliding and your feet are slipping, you've got to stop and then take a five-point turn. And that's what we're going to do over the next four weeks. Our first thing we need to do is stop. And don't give up. So I don't know if that answered all. If you thought this Sunday we were going to come and have it all figured out. Friends, this is a journey. This is going to be a process. But I know one thing. If our culture and our American Christian values are really what we think they are, we're going to see God do something remarkable and amazing to us. How do I know? Because he always has. God doesn't forsake his people. God doesn't leave us to try to figure things out. He calls us back to himself. The, the story I want you to, to leave on as we get transferred into our time of communion is the story of the prodigal son. You say, well, that's a weird story to talk about right now. Well, not really when you think about it. Can I tell you why? Because I want you to think of the story not through the eyes of the son or the brother, but I want you to think of the story through the father. Do you think the father was really excited about his son going and spending his time in wickedness? He knew exactly what his son was going to get into, didn't he? But the image is every single day the father got up and looked far into the distance. What was he looking for? The question is probably better. Who was he looking for? He was looking for his son. And I believe that the same father that's representative of our father, he's looking for his sons and daughters. All over this country. And he's looking for us to really lean in hard on him. To be very guarded of what we say and how we respond. You know what you can do during this time? You can love your neighbor as yourself. You can, this week, go out. I challenge you, church, because there's people that you probably have unfollowed on Facebook this week. Or what's that thing you can suspend them or whatever? Whatever. I remember when I was dating in high school. 
Check yes or no. I always got maybe. <laughs> got one to say yes, so I'm happy about that. That's all you need. That's all you need. That's all I want. One yes. One yes. I got the right one. Listen, what I'm trying to tell you this morning, some of those ones that you're struggling with, find a way to serve them this week. No, I don't want to. But he wants you to. They make gift cards. You know where they like to eat. They always check in and tell you where they're at. I'm at all of them. Give them a gift card. Give it to them. And they look at you strange. Say, God loves you. So do I. You got to stop. Your goal is not to win them to your side. Your persuasion. Your goal is not to be right. You know what your goal is? To be Jesus. Be Jesus. That father longed for that wayward, lost son to come home. Just as he's longed for his wayward sons and daughters to come home. You be that. But you can't be that.
the harder thing to do is love those who disagree with us. Wash feet of those who will betray us. Forgive those who have let us down.